I'm the type of person, if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'm going to tell you that I don't know. But I bet you what? I know how to find the answer, and I will find the answer. Alright, dear Yves McCord, and it is, of course, Irish for a very warm welcome, my friends, to Shamrocks and Shanks, and another episode where we get to learn from some of the best professionals in the golf world. Now, my guest for this episode is Jeff Smith. Jeff is one of the top coaches in world golf, having worked with numerous PGA Tour winners and an abundant amount of talented young players. Jeff is also one of the hardest working coaches out there, spending nearly 30 weeks a year actually out on tour. And indeed, it was from this week's event, the RSM Classic in Sea Island in Georgia, that Jeff joined us on the podcast. Now, we opened up with a question on perceptions and understandings for the club player. And Jeff's answer creates a lovely insight into that club golfer's learning and swing change process. We discuss how being aware of our physical abilities is so important when looking at possible swing or technique changes. And we highlight Jeff's work with Sportsbox AI, one of many new 3D apps available to all players, and how he feels it can help golfers to learn through an improved feedback loop. For the coaches, we chat about the ability to translate all that knowledge you've learned, all that PhD level discovery, into simple terms for the player in front of you. Jeff discusses his work with Scott Piercy and the approach he takes to working with those elite players. And we move on to Jeff's real passion of working with junior and collegiate golfers and some of the challenges that coaches may face having players in the collegiate system and what is the most important aspect of your role at that point. Now there's a quote that I really like and it's attributed to Albert Einstein that reads, if you can't explain it simply, you simply don't understand it. And in my opinion, Jeff Smith is a master of this skill. For the most part, elite coaches can recognize the same issues or movements that we would like to adapt, but that skill, that ability to tell a player something they've really heard a hundred times before, but in a way that they understand it for the first time, that I believe really is the true genius of Jeff Smith. Jeff indeed was one of the first coaches I messaged to ask if I could spend time shadowing them. Ironically enough, it was through a podcast with my good friend Jason Sutton, where Jeff said, hey, if you want to come watch, just reach out, and so I did. I didn't know a lot back then, but Jeff was so welcoming for the whole day and so patient with this Irish lad that was well in over his head. I'll never forget that experience. And the reason I tell that story is there are, like all other professions, those who feel they are above giving back or paying back and above helping others climb the same mountain upon which they too once looked from the bottom up. I really believe that Jeff is the complete opposite and genuinely cares not only about the progression of his players, but also any coach that wants to learn. As he mentioned in this pod, he wants to pay it forward I think most would agree that that debt is well and truly paid. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Smith. All right, Jeff Smith, uh, live from Sea Island this week, working hard as always. Um, appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so, so much. Um, really wanted to get you on the show for a long time. Uh, in my opinion, one of the top coaches in world golf right now. Um, so thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Steve. Absolutely, my man. Um so in this show, we kind of start the first half is kind of dedicated towards club golfers. And I know that's not your primary area of expertise, let's say, but we're going to start there and then we'll move on into hopefully helping some coaches, you know, in your progression and how you've created your career. So if we start off with those club players, what do you feel is some of the biggest or is the biggest misconception either technically or perhaps misunderstanding really holding club players back these days? Oh, wow. Um that's a pretty broad question. I think I could go a lot <laughs> of different whole podcast. ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of different ways with that. I, you know, I guess what I would say, um, my, my, my answer to that question would be kind of general. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that club golfers really struggle understanding cause and effect in, in their golf swing. Um, mm -hmm. 
So, you know, starting, you know, I think, I feel like we've done a good job in the last, you know, 10 or so years educating golfers on ball flight. I think more, more players have hit a ball on a track man and they understand club face club path. Now I I feel like that's pretty general information. Um, So I, I think, there's less of a mystery around why the ball flies the way it does based on what's happening at impact. But I still think the disconnect is how the player can sort of reverse engineer what they're doing in their swing to control those variables at impact. Um, To just kind of further elaborate on that, I I think club golfers get fixated on uh, positional alignments uh, they see things on Instagram or YouTube or whatever, or they're even watching their favorite golfers on TV. And they sort of try to mimic their, those players' movement patterns or uh, sort of create positional alignments in their golf swing. And a lot of times it's uh, it's a waste of time. Um, <laughs> you know, they don't have the physiological makeup to move like a Roy McElroy is moving or – you know, something like that. And so I think the big thing that still is uh, holding club golfers back is, is simplifying the concepts of their swing, mm-hmm. understanding cause and effect relationships in their swing, and then learning to problem solve those things, especially uh, in the middle of a round or in competition. Yeah, it's def- as you said, I think definitely the education of ball fight laws and those things have certainly come on an awful lot over the last couple of years but i would really agree that it's the why and not the what that creates the issues for club players they're trying to nearly solve the aesthetic equation before they really understand as you said the cause and effect which is a beautiful way of putting it how can the club and you you mentioned a, a very nice kind of segue into our next question you mentioned the physique there and you know not a lot of players can move like rory can move how can the club golfer best filtrate that information on golf technique to suit how they are built as a human being? And, and we have screens like TPI, et cetera. So from your perspective and your teachings, how do you meld the two together or how would that club player at home meld those two things together? Yeah. You know, I, I think a, a deeper understanding of different patterns and matchups would, would allow them to be, um, sort of okay with certain things in their golf swing. So for example, you know, I can't pivot like I used to 10 years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. My left ankle, I I tore some cartilage in it. I have a tight left hip. So through impact, I have a lot more sort of throw or release, you know, through impact than I had say, say 10 years ago, but I'm okay with it because I know that, you know, that, sort of angular velocity of the club is what allows me to swing my fastest. And at almost 50 years old, you know, I need to move the club faster. And so, um, you know, knowing that there is a way to still strike a ball solid and still to control the face and the path with, you know, less rotation of my body through impact and just understanding that, um, you know, for example, I might want to rotate more, at impact, but I also have to be able to match that up with side right side bend. And that's something that I, that, you know, I can't do as well. And a lot of players can't do as well. So I think just a little bit better understanding of how you can match things up in a certain way based on your physiological makeup can still lead to some really, really, you know, solidly struck golf shots and some good golf. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a level of even going back and bringing back in that first question, there's a level of informational understanding that a club player can have before they need someone else to come in and give them that professional dilution of the information. So what I'm getting at is that player can look at all these different swings and movements and what a player can and can't do. But sometimes you need that coach to go that extra level, that next kind of, okay, well, what can I can't I do as a human being? Um, yeah, just just to like sorry, add, add to that real quick, because I think this is important, an important point. So yeah, I, I do still teach club golfers. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I teach a lot of professional players, but I do teach, you know, club golfers as well. So I see a variety of different patterns come into the, you know, into my, uh, lesson on my lesson tee. And I would say that 10 years ago, I was shallowing 80% of the club golfers that came into my lessons because they were all steep. They were mm-hmm. all, they all had poor wrist angles. They all had open club bases. They were all steep and they were all swinging way to the left. And today I probably spend 50% of the time shallowing golfers and 50% of the time actually steepening golfers because of how, how amateur players get their information. They, they watch it on Instagram or YouTube or mm-hmm. Twitter or whatever. And they see a coach talking about shallowing the club. And so they just go do that because they think that's like the next evolution of mechanics for them when they were already shallow to begin with and now they have a non-functional level of shallow in their golf swing and so you know just understanding that one fix for one player is not necessarily what what you need as, as a club golfer yeah there's so many nearly you know very quick ads kind of get better now something you've never heard before and you know you get plastered by it as a club player as I said, everything has to be taken into context, as you said there, where, you know, as you said, one thing could be great for a player, but it could be not so great for your friend who's playing at the same time. You've had an up close and personal perspective of a professional's journey to improvement. So taking many players from tour rookies to their first PGA Tour win. If we were to give one of your players an hour to work on their game and then a club golfer a similar time amount, what do you think would be the biggest difference in how that time gets spent? Um, I would say, first of all, the club golfer would be hitting a lot more golf balls mm-hmm. than the professional golfer uh, would be, you know, they they sort of rake and hit and rake and hit and rake and hit. Whereas a, a professional player is generally working on either a, their mechanics or B they're working on developing skill. And, you know, that developing skill could be hitting it high, hitting it low, drawing it, fading it, um, dialing in the distances for their wedges. So they they spend more time on skill development than uh, amateur players do. And it's like, that makes sense because amateur players don't get to practice for eight hours a day. So, mm-hmm. you know, the bulk of their time generally is spent on mechanics so they can develop um, some type of pattern that they can then further take down the road uh, to skill development. So I would say that the biggest difference would be amateurs are spending more time on mechanics and professionals are spending more time generally on skill building. So do you think that goes back to where you are in your development as a player or is there a breakdown that you could give that you would recommend? Hey, as a club golfer, you really should be splitting that 50, 50, whenever you go to the range. 
Yeah, you know, it, it, it very much depends on where you're at and, and what stage of development you're in. If you're a complete beginning golfer, um, obviously you're going to have to learn to hit the ball first. Um, mm. You know, you, you, your short game and your putting isn't going to matter if you can't get off the tee and, you, can, you know, you can't strike a golf ball solidly enough to move it down the fairway. Um, as that becomes less and less a challenge for you, then you to, to shoot the lowest score, which is always the objective, you're going to have to refine some of those elements of your short game and some of those elements of your putting. And then when you get all three levels um, of your game, you know, ball striking, short game, and putting to a, a reasonable level of proficiency, the, the, the gains become more and more difficult. And so that's where you may have to rely on things like uh, tracking your stats, having some form of, uh, of data or feedback telling you, this is where you're you're losing your shots. And if you go spend this bucket of time, again, I, I keep going back to this because it's reality. Amateur players don't have unlimited time. They have jobs and wives and kids and school and all these other things that occupy our time. And and therefore the the time that they do get to spend at the course or on the range has to be very efficient and it has to be uh, really focused on you know, the area of the game that's most holding them back. So really assess as you go, where do you feel you can improve the most, whether that be getting that feedback from a coach or really taking statistics of your own game and then use that to influence where you practice or how you practice. No question about it. Perfect. Easy. <laughs> so you, you've been involved with the 3D company Sportsbox in terms of their development as an app, as it grows and develops. With those advancements in technology and data analytics, as you mentioned, golfers have a lot more access to a lot more detailed information, let's say, about how they move, how their golf club swings, et cetera. How do they strike the balance between these data-driven insights like 3D and the artistry, so to speak, of the game? Yeah, I really think that they're they're two separate things. Um, the, the, the technology is a tool. Right. At the end of the day, the goal is to shoot the, the lowest score and how you get there would be different for, you know, for, for every player. Some players in, in this generation of younger players, they're very technologically driven. They like to measure things. They like to know how things work. They don't you know, they don't um, they don't want to just take your word for it. They want it to be proven to them to be factual and you know, they've grown up in a technological age where they're used to a lot of stimuli and taking in a lot of information and, and processing it so they can handle it. They, they, mm -hmm. they, they, they actually need it. And so uh, a tool like Sportsbox is incredible because, you know, you might know what something feels like, but until you actually measure it, you're, you can't associate that actual feel with what you're doing. So, for example, I could be given a lesson to a 50-year-old insurance salesman, and the first time he comes in, he doesn't have any hip turn. And so we structure a lesson around, this is how I want you to turn. This is how I want you to feel this movement. I want you to allow your trail leg to straighten and your right hip to work behind you. And I could show him on video, that's what a hip turn looks like. Mm -hmm. And we could measure it and say, okay, when you do this well, you're turning your hips about 45 degrees in the backswing. 
versus when you walked in here, I'll show them that 3D, you were turning your hips about 30 degrees. And so during a lesson, you've increased range of motion by 15 degrees. And then this player leaves you and goes off and practices. And now he can just film his swing from either a face on or down the line view and text you that swing or upload it right into Sportsbox AI. And he can see, no, that swing, I didn't turn my hips 45 degrees. So you've established a what it should look like on video, what it should feel like, but also you have the capability of now measuring what you're really doing. Because one of the reasons a lot of players struggle, in my opinion, is if they aren't coached in a certain way or coached in a certain way to where they are understanding the information, processing the information during a lesson, uh, but then leaving you with what the, an understanding of what they need to do to continue to get better, they're not going to get better. Um, if mm. you give a player a lesson and you keep put, and you put them in this position over and over and over, you kind of do that. You teach them positional golf. As soon as they leave you, they're not going to be able to find their way back to that. And so they'll go spend hours and hours practicing the wrong thing, or uh, they will go away from you and struggle and not have the quality of a ball striking that they had during your lesson with them. And then that will lead to frustration and, you know, they may quit the game, but um, a tool like sports box sort of eliminates that. It, it, it sets, you know, some, some goals and um, what you're trying to achieve. It allows you to measure those goals. Um, and then it allows the player to put the feel associated with achieving that goal together over and over again. And I think that's where, that's why players advance rapidly today. Yeah. So if it's used in the right context, very much in the helping us as coaches develop those players, motor learning, as opposed to just aesthetic checkups, let's say. So if it's used in the right context of, Hey, this is my box to improve my technical, my kind of motor patterns, my movement. And then the separate side of things is when I go play the performance. And even within sports box, what, you, what is really, really cool is the fact that you can actually capture swings out on the golf course. So you can kind of match up the swing on the range versus the swing under pressure of a, like a, an actual competitive round, which is kind of cool. And you can see the differences between the two, how that player might move. Yeah, no question. Like that feedback loop is critical in the learning process. And mm -hmm. it's literally irreplaceable. If you took a beginning golfer that was just the, from, from day one slicing the golf ball, you gave them a track man and you just put them on the range and said, every time you swing to the left, you're going to slice it. And every time you swing to the right, you're going to have an opportunity to potentially draw the golf ball. And you just turned them loose and let them hit balls on track man and let them have the feedback of face and path every single swing. Their brain would engineer a way a movement pattern, a movement strategy to create, to get their path from end to out. And they would not slice anymore. Mm -hmm. the, the reason we have sliced for 40 years, 50 years is because when we felt a certain thing, we were not able to assign any kind of a value to what we felt. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. It's hard to know when you're, as you said, the feedback loop with that is so, so important for that player. How many times have we stood on a driving range of players in front of us and they say, I just can't feel it, you know? So you need that kind of associate. Okay, well, feel this. And then this is actually what happens. So it's very, very important. When we move on to the coaches section 
and I appreciate you're not one to like, you're definitely not one to highlight your own successes, but I wanted to start the coaching section by asking, what do you believe has contributed most to your journey thus far, like in success? And I know anybody familiar with your story knows that it's a very kind of detailed, a very interesting background kind of going from, you know, store manager and very successfully, and then, you know, back into golf coaching. Is there anything in that you look at in particular has helped you on your way? Or is it kind of a more of a gathering of certain things? I don't, I mean, it, it's been a lot of things to be quite honest. I, I've been very fortunate. There's been a lot of uh, people who've taken the time to invest in me, um, to, to further my education or, uh, you know, into golf and around golf. And um, I've been very, very lucky to work with some, some super high level players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably have learned more from them than they've have ever taught than I've ever taught them. Um, I think the characteristic that has allowed me to be successful is something that I've had for as long as I can remember. And, you know, that's the ability to um, take in a lot of information, process it, and um, uh, essentially learn how to put my own spin on it or even explain it in a, in a very, very simple fashion. So, you know, there's no question that there's a lot of PhD level researchers out there who've had a huge influence on the game of golf. Mm. And, um, you know, their information has been invaluable to me, but at the same time, you have to have the capability of processing what they're saying and then building some type of format that you can use in a lesson and explain a, a, a maybe a, a pretty sophisticated concept to someone who's just beginning in golf. And so I feel like that skill set of taking in a lot of information or processing a lot of information and then making decisions rapidly um, is, is a skill set that I've, I've always had and I've applied it essentially in every job or you know, and everything I've ever done in my life, uh, whether it be sport or job or whatever, um, I feel like that is the skill set that has, you know, has given me this, you know, the success that I've had. Yeah, that's a fantastic answer. Very, very good answer. Do you have a process? So say, for example, tomorrow you're talking to Sasha or somebody like that in that PhD realm, and they let you in on some information that they've just come across. Do you have a process for how you then kind of store, understand that information before you really talk to your player about it? You know, how do you go about that? Yeah. So, you know, that's happened a number of times. There, There's always uh, information coming down the pipeline because these guys are doing the research. Um, mm-hmm. They're they're challenging theories that have, you know, uh, been, you know, longstanding. And um, this will never end because of technology. We will mm-hmm. always be able to measure things tomorrow that we couldn't measure today. And then that's going to lead us down a whole nother road of research. And so, the, the biggest thing is understanding that you never have it figured out. You're, you know, having that mindset that you're always willing to learn something. Uh, my process is taking in that information and then going and sort of breaking it down, in, you know, and using generally the scientific method. Just can I punch holes in this? Can I prove it to be wrong or invalid, uh, either with my own feels or the feels of my players? Um, and then you know, you keep trying to do that. And if you can't punch holes in it, then generally it's pretty correct information. And then from there, it's okay. Now, how do I, 
explain it differently. And I can't stress that enough. Like if you asked me to describe one, one thing in the golf swing, I bet I could describe that thing five different ways because I've worked with players who, uh, to be quite honest, like if, if I just talk about my tour players, if you try to teach Aaron Wise something, you need to know technically how it works. You need to describe it on a very technical level. He wants to understand the inner workings of that thing, cause and effect, why, the whole nine yards. But then, you know, if if I'm working with someone like, you know, one of my first tour players that I ever worked with who had a huge influence on my career was Scott Piercy. And Scott is supremely talented and uh, does, didn't want to know a lot of information. He just said to me, Jeff, tell me what I need to do. Like, what do I need to feel to do what you're saying? And so I had to say the same thing in a simpler, simpler, simpler fashion. And then when you're working with a beginning golfer or an amateur player, you got to get it even simpler. And so, mm-hmm. you know, take a, take a very, I, I feel like that's an art of taking a very, what may be a technical concept and, and I hate to use the term dumbing it down, but simplifying it yeah. to the point to where anyone can understand it. And the key to that is, you as the coach understanding it on the highest level, because if you yeah. can't explain it in a simple enough fashion, then you really don't understand it. Yeah. That's so, so important. If you, you don't understand it, if you can't explain it simply, you simply don't understand it. You mentioned Scott there and, you know, one might describe that maybe as a slight idiosyncratic action. When you first started working with Scott, how did you approach that? Because the immediate knee-jerk reaction would be in your own brain as it goes off, as the swing happens in front of you, your brain is kind of from everything that you've learned and studied is going, well, that doesn't look like it should look. But yet again, you're standing behind a player who's won a lot of money and this is their career. Where did you look first to kind of see how you could help them best? Well, you know, you just watch him play and you watch him perform on the range and you look at the ball flight pattern and the quality of the contact and strike and flight. And you you start with what are their, you know, why do they hire you? What are their competitive goals? What are they trying to achieve? And do, do their goals align with the mechanics that they are using at the moment? And so, you know, for example, for Scott, like I, I use the word talented because I don't really know another way to describe it, but this is somebody that never really practiced golf never played golf outside of a PGA tour event. Like he didn't take his clubs with his buddies and go play golf somewhere. Like that just didn't happen. So he could roll out of the bed in the morning and absolutely flush a golf ball. And so he had one shot. He played a little fade and the ball didn't curve very much. And he hit it right in the center of the face every time. And therefore he controlled his distances really well on a, on a elite level, especially when it came to to wedges. And so, you know, players will come to you because they don't like something cosmetic in their swing to believe, believe it or not. Like a PGA, PGA tour players have hired me because they don't like the way their swing looks and they don't really understand the functionality of the movement that they're making. And that's what makes them so good. And so you have to explain that, like, this is why you're good at golf. You know, these things that you're doing that you don't like are actually serving you well in, in, in your, your mechanics. And so, you know, with, you know, 
just taking that a step further, where do you start? You watch them play. You watch them hit balls. You see if their goals align with the mechanics. And then from there, if you don't see anything that is a um, – not necessarily a death move, but if you don't see something mechanical that's causing issues, you move on. You move on to the next thing. Hmm. Um, and, and the next thing for him was let's hit it a little bit further. Um, you know, he's getting up there in age. I think when Scott hired me, he was probably 36 ish, 37. Okay. And I worked with him for seven or eight years into his forties. Mm -hmm. And we all know what happens when you get older, you slow down. Yeah. And so your swing starts to get shorter. So in the later stage of, of my work with him, it was spent on lengthening out his backswing, lengthening out his hand path. And there's challenges in that because, He's never hit a ball that way before, but mm -hmm. if he wants to, you know, wanted to continue to, to play later into his mid forties, that was going to be a, a requirement for changing his mechanic. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're assessing that player, and I know this is probably, you can comment on this more than I can, has changed over the last few years. For example, I know you had a very good background in putting. When you kind of get a player like that, and we know uh, you have uh, a fellow Irishman, Stephen Sweeney, does a lot of putting <laughs> for your players. But at that stage, do you then push that player towards one of those putting coaches? Or when does that really happen? Or are you comfortable enough with your own personal knowledge of putting to work with players? Yeah, I I, I actually started on tour working with players on their putting. Mm -hmm. um, the first clients that I had were, you know, I was essentially focusing on short game and putting. And so... I feel like I've put a lot of time and research into that area of the game. And it's something that I like to do myself. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I like to, you know, hit putts on a sand putt lab or Quintech myself and see different uh, techniques or movement strategies. And that that's effect on the ability to manage the club face and ball roll and things of that nature. So uh, um, I, I, I feel pretty competent that I could solve most uh every problem that I'm going to be faced for me, it comes down to a time management uh, thing. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, if I, I have five players on the PGA tour right now, so for me to be all of their swing coaches, all of their short game coaches and all their putting coaches, that's probably not a realistic scenario. And so yeah. um, that's where I don't mind leaning on someone like a Steven Sweeney, who's I think he's one of the best in the world at what he does. And mm -hmm. I fully trust him. And I know that, you know, I've sent countless players in his direction and he's helped them all. So um, for me, it's about managing my own bandwidth so that I'm given, you know, every player uh, in my stable a hundred percent and the best that I can give them. And so sometimes that means, you know, stepping aside and letting someone like a Steven Sweeney or a, a short game coach sort of step in and help that player. Yeah, that's absolutely fair, but case by case basis, perhaps. Um, if we went just very, very quickly on the technical side of thing, and I don't like this question, to be honest with you, when people start talking about preferences, I kind of studied, not you, but your kind of teachings for a while, maybe four or five years from that time that I visited you in Vegas. And as I would look, there, there's definitely, you know, a lot of things that you like to look at, you comment on a lot of things. So I think you're, I don't think you have massive preferences when it comes to golf swings, but I could be wrong. Do you have preferences in there, what you like to see in golf swings? Or is it going back to that case of Scott, where it's just, you know what, I just want to ask the player first, and then they're going to tell me, and then that really directs where I go. 
Yeah. So I would say that, yes, I do have preferences and I think every coach does, um, mm-hmm. but I don't have positional preferences or alignment perspective or alignment preferences. There are some guiding principles in my teaching, um, you know, two big fancy words here, kinematics and, and kinetics, golf club kinetics. And so just a, a quick definition of those things for maybe your listeners, the kinematics mm-hmm. are what, what you're seeing. That's when you film your swing, what you're looking at. When we are analyzing what the swing looks on video and how the body's moving, those are the kinematics of the golf swing. To take that a step further, when we move in certain ways, we're inputting forces into the golf club. And those corresponding forces are creating torques that are happening around the golf club's center of mass. And being able to manipulate those forces and torques in a golf swing is the holy grail of controlling your ball flight. It is how a player is hitting any given shot that you ask them to hit. And oftentimes they can manipulate these, these things um, just through feel. Sometimes they need to understand the concept of if I pull down on the club, this is what's going to be the response. If I Mm -hmm. move the hand path out and side bend, that's going to be the response. And so it's connecting the dots between the kinematics and the kinetics to problem solve. At the end of the day, we're only always problem solving one thing and that's the ball flight. Mm. Are they hitting the shot that they're trying to hit? And if not, what are the corresponding kinematics and golf club kinetics that are going to going to change in order for them to achieve the ball flight that they're trying to achieve? So when we talk about my preferences, it's if you hit if you tell me you want to hit a draw, here's how I like to see the kinematics move and, and the applied forces on the handle of the golf club. If you mm-hmm. tell me you want to hit a fade, this is how I would I would prefer you try to do it. And I've gotten to that point over a number of years studying this and doing this and and trial and airing this uh, with various players because I've kind of found the most efficient ways to do it, if that makes sense. Most efficient ways to hit a draw. Like you literally can stand on your head and hit a golf ball (laughs) and you can name any swing flaw right now. And I'll tell you someone tomorrow on the range at Sea Island doing it and doing it at a really high level. So there, there is no one way to swing a club, but there is, there are some efficiencies in how to do it. Yeah, I, I like that guiding principles. I like that phrase. I really like that because it, it can lead you to different paths. Then you're not restricted to being the same every single time. You work with Indeed. You have yeah. a program. And I, I, sorry, one. I think that shows up when you look at my player swings. Like they don't look. Hardly any of them look the same, to be quite honest. Um, No, they don't. Yeah. You know, Aaron Wise's swing doesn't look like Patrick Rogers' swing. Mm -hmm. And they they all have different movement capabilities, and that's why. But I can tell you the forces and torques going into the club are really similar. Yeah. When we're talking about this in, in terms of the coaching you indeed help and have helped a lot of and developed a lot of college players. So you have Course Kings and then you have the the, the college player kind of affiliate with that, which is Course Kings All-American, I believe is the... Yeah, yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
What do you see as the most important aspect for a coach in supporting a player through their college career? So when they get to college and they're in university or whatever, you know, maybe even especially for coaches that are located in different countries, perhaps, or, you know, if it's in the States, they're located on the East Coast or West Coast. What do you think is the most important aspect there? Yeah, that's honestly, that's my favorite part of coaching is, you know, taking a junior golfer and getting them to college. And then mm-hmm. hopefully they, they love the game enough that they want to keep pushing and keep, you know, making sacrifices and giving it their all to play at a professional level after, after college. And so I've been lucky enough to do that with a number of players. And um, the, the big takeaway for me was that as a coach, you always want to feel valued. That's just human nature. Like you're mm-hmm. contributing something to the team. But that doesn't need to show up in the form of you always teaching them something or changing something about their game. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to invent a problem or something to teach them on the driving range. You just need to be more of a resource. The more time with you spend that you spend with them, later they get in their stages of development, the less things you should be changing and tinkering. And you should be more of a resource for them to explore uh, new shots or new strategies on how to do something. But the, I guess the, 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 what I'm trying to say as a coach is be prepared to start pulling back more and more and more as their stages of development gets higher and higher and higher. Because if you're, honestly, if you're blowing their swing up after you've been working with them for six or seven years, that's a, that's a poor reflection on you yeah, because absolutely. you had them seven years ago in these early stages of development where you should have been giving them, you know, solid advice and their mechanics should be, you know, I, I feel like players, they're generally going to develop the mechanics that they're going to use for most of their life, somewhere between like age 10 and 16, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's the, that's the age when they're developing from a strength and strength and skill standpoint. And um, that DNA in their golf swing isn't going to change much as they move through these higher ranks of, of golf. They're, they're going to train differently. They're going to mm-hmm. get bigger, faster, stronger. Um, they're, they're going to become more skillful. If you shift their focus toward, you know, structuring their practice in a way that's going to, create some stress around developing those skills. Um, And I feel like that's what you do in kind of in stages. Early development is technical, maybe breaking the swing down, sort of building blocks, and then they start to get really good. And then it's like, okay, what's their competitive niche? Are they a really small player and they need to hit the ball farther? Are they a big, powerful player and they need to hit the ball straighter? Like mm-hmm. that's when you start moving them in, in sort of those directions and and you start challenging them from a, a practice perspective mm-hmm. um, and you start relying on data, things of that nature to continue that sort of development pipeline. So it's more of a support and fine tuning process once they do get to the university or the college. Do you or how do you deal with the the college coach that is there and, you know, has a job to select the team and pick the team? Has there ever been in, in kind of your experience situations where perhaps you didn't see eye to eye with that, say, college coach? Or do you kind of get a phone call to the coach first and go, hey, 
this is what I'd like to see. This is what I'd like to do. Uh, yeah, that, <laughs> you know, I've coached, <laughs> you don't have to name names. <laughs> players. I, you know, I've coached hundreds of college players. So, um, yeah, there's been conflict a lot often. Um, mm. and, and I, and, and it's understandable why, like a college coach's job is difficult because mm-hmm. they are not responsible. I'm only responsible for that one player on the team. They have, you know, 10 or 12 players on the team and they have to divide their time and conquer but they also need these kids to play well. And so yeah. when, when they're at a tournament or they're getting ready to go play a tournament or they're playing qualifying rounds and a kid on the team isn't playing well, well, they can't just fly their swing coach in to fix it. So yeah. that college coach needs to kind of step in there and, you know, and at times give some advice. So that's where I try to take the coach as a partner and, and just explain to them like, hey, this is what I'm working on. This is kind of how it works. This is the cause and effect associated with it. Can you look out for these couple of things for me? Mm-hmm. And when you take them as a partner, they are, you know, they're way quicker to sort of reach out to you and be like, hey, this is what I'm seeing, Jeff. Uh, what do I need to do here? And so it's just it's just about building a partnership with them, you know, the best you can. And, uh, and you know, it serves the player better because everyone has their the player's best interest in mind. And one of the most damaging things that can happen to a player is getting conflicting information. Yeah. My coach says do this thing and my – college coach says do this thing and now they have all these thoughts in their head and they don't know what to do and that generally doesn't work out very well yeah i've I've found that encountered that at times when you're working with a junior (laughs) player and you know they they want information right so they're really greedy and hungry for any information especially when they're not playing well and they're going to ask whoever's in the vicinity probably and as you said they get kind of double information or even differing information or a different concept in, in different area to golf swing and then that just leads to chaos. So there's nothing good really, really happens when those situations arise. Um, like when looking at <laughs> what you do in terms of education-wise, you you have the Course King site, which we mentioned before. And I know, you know, I've been signed up to the site for a while. And I know a lot of other coaches use that as a learning resource, an educational resource. You've also now been uh, su- uh, created the Instagram subscription, which is really, really good. I'm a part of that. That's excellent information in there. It kind of highlights you give examples of lessons and sessions and you kind of give some standalone videos of, of information you've been, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems you make a, a very defined effort to help educate other coaches. Where does that come from? Or, or why is that kind of so important to you? Do you think? You know, it's it where it comes from is when I was breaking into the industry. Um, yeah. I got lucky with, social media kind of exploding at that time. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody knew who I was, but I just created an Instagram handle and started putting information out there. And the next thing you know, I had thousands of followers. And so um, I felt like that did a lot for me career wise. Um, Financially, it allowed me to support my family uh, in an incredible way. And so I, I just feel like, like I was given this gift of sort of this career and I, I feel like there's an obligation to sort of, you know, pay that forward. And, you know, also growing up, one of the things that I didn't like about golf was golf pros were very territorial. Um, mm-hmm. They did not like to share information. Um, they didn't, 
they wouldn't allow another coach to come teach a lesson on their range or, or it was just, there was walls put up and that, that I feel like that's been broken down now. I feel like a lot of coaches have, you know, put in great information out there and shared information. And I feel like there's more of a culture now of, of teaching other people what you do and, 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 and sharing that. And so I, I think it comes, it, comes from the fact that when I first started in the industry or growing up as a kid, I didn't like how the industry was. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't like the isolationism. I didn't like the, the, the not supporting someone else that's in your profession. And to be quite honest, it's like, it never made sense to me. Go talk to a physician. They share information rap, you know, all the time with other physicians go speak to go talk to lawyers it's it's like in all these other professions they share information ideas and they don't try to stop other people from learning what they're doing and Mm -hmm. i think that a lot of that comes from insecurity people might be insecure about the information that they're teaching therefore they don't want to put it out there um or they just might not be comfortable and hey everyone is not comfortable turning on the camera and getting in front of it and explaining their methodology and so i feel like it's something that comes pretty easy or natural to me and um i like the stimulation of it i like Mm. the interaction you know when i post something on instagram and it triggers a response for people to ask questions i actually like taking the time out of my day to respond to those people engaging with them um and it's it's honestly flattering like Someone would take the time out of their day to read one of my posts and then ask the follow-up question to get some clarity around something that I said. Like that's pretty flattering, and so that's that's why I do it. Okay, there's there's many certifications out there. Trust me, I've been through enough of them. <laughs> All right. Is is there any plans further down the line for you to do something similar to that? You know, I'm kicking around that idea. Um, mm-hmm. So, Course Kings has been great, and yeah. You know, I I want to sort of re-energize Course Kings. And, mm-hmm. you know, for what people might not know Course Kings as is the way – the reason Course Kings came about was about five or six years ago, I got super busy on Instagram and I got inundated with teaching lessons. And to the point to where I was turning down – you know, I'm teaching eight hours a day, six days a week, and I'm probably turning down 90% of the people who contacted me on on instagram because i just Mm. didn't have the bandwidth to teach any more lessons um so many hours in the day and so i thought to myself like okay how can i reach people on a broader scale Um, i know i can't teach every one of these lessons but maybe i can create some content that someone in another country could watch and it would be sort of like them getting a lesson yeah. And that's that's where Course Kings came from. So I, I created about 300 hours of content and I tried to cover what I felt like was every topic that a player might have in terms of a question or a coach. And when I launched it, it was surprising to me that the overwhelming majority of people that signed up originally were coaches. Yeah. Um, in the first six months, we had like 1,100 uh, members. And about 400 of them were coaches. And I thought, wow, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought this would be for amateur players and 
high handicappers that just wanted to figure out how to stop slicing the ball or whatever. Yeah. And so the coaches obviously were the most engaged people on the site and they provided the best con- you know, comments and questions. And for a while there, I let the membership sort of dictate the content that I created. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, Hey, make a video on this thing. How do you solve that or whatever? And so, um, I want to re-energize it in a way to where I can make it a bit more interactive. And I've been doing a lot of these webinars and podcasts with all these other different companies. And I thought to myself, wow, I'm doing all that with them. Why not just do that with Course Kings? And so I'm, I'm going to try to create some type of membership platform or membership uh, level, if you will, to where um, probably starting out as a once a month thing a once a month sort of webinar where anyone that's a member can jump on there and have sort of access to me to ask questions that they might have um, not been able to ask other people or ask their coach, or uh, it might even be coaches on there saying, Jeff, how do you problem solve this? Uh, I see it evolving into me, you know, uh, having someone send their swings in if they're comfortable with it and breaking it down during this, you know, live webinar and then having other coaches participate. But I definitely see some type of uh, shift in that direction to continue to, because the, the, the perpetual content creation thing is just, uh, you, it, it's a battle you're not going to win. Like mm-hmm. you can't sit there and film content every single day all day, every day, you will repeat yeah. yourself at some point. And um, that's not helping people learn better. Um, anyway, so to summarize that, I think that making it, making Course Kings more interactive is the next evolution for me in that platform. Yeah, I think it, it helped me huge amounts. So I think when I look at educating myself, so trying to get better as a coach, whatever that kind of you know area that might look like, it's it's hard to get the good information that's say out there. You know, it's it's just a lot of courses, a lot of things you can pay for. Some of them good, some of them absolutely horrendously bad. So as a coach, you know, trying to educate yourself, you gravitate to the coaches that are doing the best job, are working with most elite players, and when they create content like you did, I think really the attraction of Coach Kings from me as a coach was to see you teaching. So when you would give the online lessons and to listen in as you kind of really dissected the swing and the reasons for it and then recommended to me, that's I, that was the gold dust for me of looking at that that website. Um, so I think definitely there's room for a better coach education out there and especially someone who's been through and kind of gra- graduated through the kind of, you know, the levels of coaching to now being one of the world's elite. It definitely benefits us to kind of hear from you and see how you see things and having that personal access, you know, be able to ask questions and so forth would be really, really beneficial in the long run. Yeah. You know, I see it going even to the level to where I have a coach that's that's on Course Kings. You know, I put a swing up there and I ask them to problem solve it. Mm-hmm. And then I allow yeah. them to get feedback from everyone else on the call. And so yeah. That is being put, you know, under the gun, if you will. But that is truly how you learn. Um, You know, I just did a a neuroscience certification and it was literally like um, going on rounds as a medical doctor. Like Mm -hmm. you had to present a case study 
And then the other people in the class, after you present your case study and what you did, have to break you down and give you feedback. And you talk about learning. Like you learn quickly. Wow. I, how did I miss that? Or why didn't I think yeah. of that? And man, I'm putting that that in my toolbox because next time I'm doing that, that's a great idea. And I think that's kind of where I'm going to go with with Course Kings. That's absolutely fantastic. Um and, and that'll be my that'll be my version of a of a certification because yeah, to be cert- to be quite yeah. honest, like what is a certification? Yeah, I just create a book and a pamphlet and hand it out to everybody and say this is what you do and this is or this is what I do and you know like here's some tools that I use and I I, I don't know I don't think that's the best way to do it. I think a mm-hmm. more interactive approach and it's the most difficult. And there's the reason why nobody's doing it is because it's time consuming. Yeah. And our time is the most valuable commodity that we have. Mm-hmm. And so, but I enjoy that kind of stuff. So I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. Education as opposed to certification. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I like that. Um, right. We've got one last question. Um, the last I saw Florida state were ranked number four. um it's been a pretty good year so far what are your feelings going into the playoffs pretty confident we'll get there and then how do you feel about your prospects going on thereafter man you know i want to be really confident um i just you know i just came from from tallahassee we had the miami game this weekend and we're pretty beat up to be quite mm-hmm. honest, uh, we had linemen going down left and right. It was a super physical rivalry game. Um, we have an off week. Essentially, this week we're playing, a, you know, a, playing North Alabama, which, you know, will be yeah. a 30-point favorite. And we'll mm-hmm. probably rest a lot of our starters. But our final game of the season is going into the swamp um, to beat Florida. And you can just throw records out the window it doesn't matter in these in these rivalry games as long as i've been a part of them and so um if we win that game then we got to win the acc championship game i don't think we get into the playoff if we have a loss uh yeah i just don't think the acc is well respected enough um a one loss sec team would definitely get in over a florida state um Mm -hmm. hell a one loss big 10 team would probably get in over Florida State. So we got to win out. We got to be 14 and 0 uh to go to the playoff, but uh I got a good feeling about it. We got some playmakers. You never know one of those Big 10 teams might not be allowed to play in the playoffs. <laughs> 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 um Jeff, listen man, I as I said, you know, I know you're out there that week or this week in Sea Point or sorry, in Sea Island. Um, see point being in Ireland uh, I would see <laughs> Ireland working with your team and with your players so uh, I appreciate so much you taking the time out this evening to come on the show and, and chat with us um, from a personal level from four years ago of you allowing me to come out and spend time with you in Vegas when you were still based out there thank you so so much for that everything you've helped me with from then on in uh, you've been very very friendly very welcoming so helpful whenever I reach out so I, I can only thank you for that and thank you for what you're doing for other coaches I know I've talked to other coaches who've been on the Coach King's website and Course King's website and seen the information and learned from it and it's helped them develop. So um, from all of us, thank you so, so much for what you're doing. You mentioned earlier that you feel like you're trying to pay it forward. I can definitely tell you you are doing that in bundles. So um, we appreciate it. Thanks very much for coming on. Have a great week this week. Hopefully it ends up in a victory for the 2024 season and uh, we'll keep an eye on Florida State as they progress too. (laughs) <laughs> well thanks for uh thanks for having me on steve it's always great to spend time with you man all right man thank you
Thank you. All right, so that wraps up another episode. Massive thank you to Jeff Smith for coming on the show, especially considering he was out on the road working. I really encourage anyone out there to check out Jeff's content. I think whether you're a player or a coach, you would find it massively beneficial. So you can follow Jeff on Instagram at RadarGolfPro or on X, what used to be Twitter, with the same handle. Indeed, on that Instagram page is where you'll have access if you want to subscribe to get some more information, that deeper knowledge base from Jeff. If you want to check out the Course Kings website, just go to CourseKings.com. A big thank you as always to you the listeners out there, as without you listening and downloading these podcasts, there wouldn't be a show. I really appreciate the support and the feedback, and just a reminder, if you do enjoy it, please make sure to rate the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, if you want to work with myself in person or indeed online through the Skillist platform, or actually if you have any questions on golf or the podcast at all, you can contact me on Instagram at stevemoregolf or through the website stevemoregolf.com. Finally, for your own game, don't forget, work hard, work diligently, but most importantly, work smart, and we'll talk to you again soon. Take care.